Hi, you are now listening to a sermon from Harvest Community Church in Hoffman Estates, Illinois. Today you will hear a sermon from Pastor Frank Pizor. So without further ado, here he is. Why don't you open your Bibles to 1 Samuel chapter 16. We'll read the first 13 verses, and I just want to talk about today how God uses ordinary people, how he chooses them as well. And I think that's more than uh, the big reason why I wanted to speak today, just because so many of us get lost in our ordinariness and forget that God can and often does use simply ordinary people to do extraordinary things. Let's read. Verse 1. The Lord said to Samuel, How long will you mourn for Saul, since I have rejected him as king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and be on your way. I am sending you to Jesse of Bethlehem. I have chosen one of his sons to be king. But Samuel said, How can I go? Saul will hear about it and kill me. The Lord said, Take a heifer with you and say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Invite Jesse to the sacrifice and I will show you what to do. You are to anoint for me the one I indicate. Samuel did what the Lord said. When he arrived at Bethlehem, the elders of the town trembled when they met him. They asked, Do you come in peace? Samuel replied, Yes, in peace. I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Consecrate yourselves and come to the sacrifice with me. Then he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. When they arrived, Samuel saw Eliab and thought, Surely the Lord's anointed stands before the Lord. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things man looks at. Man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Then Jesse called Abinadab and said, <clears throat> and had him pass in front of Samuel. But Samuel said, The Lord has not chosen this one either. Jesse then had Shammah pass by, but Samuel said, Nor has the Lord chosen this one. Jesse had seven of his sons pass before Samuel, but Samuel said to him, <clears throat> But Samuel said to him, The Lord has not chosen these. So he asked Jesse, Are these all the sons you have? They're still the youngest, Jesse answered, but he is tending the sheep. Samuel said, Send for him, and we will not sit down until he arrives. So he sent and had him brought in. He was ruddy with a fine appearance and handsome features. Then the Lord said, Rise and anoint him. He is the one. So Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And from that day on, the Spirit of the Lord came upon David in power. And Samuel went to Ramah. Let's pray. Father, as we gather today as a church family, we ask you to search our hearts, look deeply into us, and then speak clearly to us about the things that you would have us to do. Father, as you work in our hearts, I would ask you to get us to a place where we stop being human doings and become human beings. It's so easy, even listening to a message like this, to think of more things that we have to do. Forgetting that even with David, there was a foundation that you'd already put in place. And that he was someone before he did something. 
May we walk away with that as well today. In Jesus' name, amen. Before we look at a video clip that I want to start with, which will also allow me a chance to switch here, uh, I want to ask a question. Who do you think, in your mind, normally, uh, the person that God is going to use? I think most of us have a, a thought or a concept that the person that God really uses is someone who's a missionary or a pastor or an elder type person. And the reason I say that is whenever we seem to get into a jam of some sorts, we don't normally turn to our friends, but we will call our pastor because we believe that they have that bat phone type uh, phone up to God where he can actually answer more quickly than anybody else. Uh, with that in mind, as you begin to think about who is the person that God uses, I want us to look at a clip from a movie entitled The Seeker. my life being Will Stan, social inadequate. Most of the time I'm just invisible. And then you come along and, and tell me I'm special. And then I've got powers. So I'm like, great. Now life's going to be better now, right? No. No, it's not. I am no superhero. I'm still me. You are the seeker, Will. The future of the human race rests on you. Don't you understand this? Look. I'm supposed to save the world? Okay, I can't even figure out how to talk to a girl. Can't let a girl distract you. You've got work to do. There are only three days left. Go on. Go on! Three days, Will. I got it. Now, I know you're all thinking that's my autobiography. Social inadequate, can't even talk to a girl, at least in high school. Different in college, but that's another story. <clears throat> I'm just kidding. I only dated one girl in my life, and I married her. Okay, I lied, but anyway, moving on. <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> Sorry. I couldn't preach anymore if I had lied that, so I had to speak truth. Anyway, I like that movie clip because um, what you have is... The, this young teenager who, at one point in time, really is just an ordinary kid, blends into the background, nobody really notices who he, who he is at all, and uh, then somebody comes along and says, dude, you are special. Uh, you have powers. You are, are the one in this great battle between good and evil. Who's, who's the linchpin? And uh, as you can see, it's a lot of pressure because he goes from being uh, an ordinary person to an extraordinary person, and yet he still is an ordinary person, which is pretty similar to the tale that we're going to see here in 1 Samuel 16. And I want to paint maybe three pictures or take three snapshots of what's going on here. In the first snapshot, you would see in the first few verses, in verses 1 through 3, and it's basically, if there's anything that you get across, it would be pretty simple, is that God does not panic. Now look at these verses. It says, The Lord said to Samuel, How long will you mourn for Saul, since I have rejected him as king over Israel? 
Fill your horn with oil and be on your way. I am sending you to Jesse of Bethlehem. I have chosen one of his sons to be king. <coughs> now, last week, Pastor Matt talked a little bit about Saul becoming king and, and how he was head and shoulders, not the dandruff shampoo, but head and shoulders above everybody else in all of Israel and started out with a sense of humility, you know, hiding in the baggage when he was called. And yet in the end, what begins to happen is his true heart comes out and we see that Saul really does not have a heart for God. Now Samuel is a good prophet. He really cares for Saul. He's disturbed. And if you can kind of picture in your mind an old man, not necessarily Chris Kim, walking back and forth, oh sorry, uh, walking back and forth in the midst of a tent and as he's walking back and forth, he's panicking because he's thinking to himself, what's, what's going on here? Uh, one time a judge, I love the people, my sons have failed. Um, we raise up this king and with a hope and desire that this king will be the one to lead this nation into the future. <coughs> and to be able to lead it into the future for God and all these great things. And now I see this guy Saul, and Saul does not have a heart for God at all, and he is concerned. And God then says to Samuel, dude, stop. Stop this. It's driving me crazy. You're panicking. You're afraid that things are not going to work out. Don't worry. I'm in control. I have a plan. I'm going to send you to Jesse of Bethlehem, and you're going to anoint one of his sons as king. Now, mind you, he's still in panic mode. Look what happens in verse 2. <coughs> but Samuel said, how can I go? Saul will hear about it and kill me. I mean, he is definitely terrified of what's going to happen next. But again, the Lord does not panic. He says, take a heifer with you and say, I've come to sacrifice, because he is going to make a sacrifice. And invite Jesse to the sacrifice, and I will show you what to do. You are to anoint for me the one I indicate. Quite simply, Samuel, don't worry. Don't panic. I'm in control. Everything is going to work out. It's going to be fine. So that's our first picture, is that the Lord does not panic at all. But our second picture that I want us to see is that the Lord chooses ordinary people. <coughs> Let's look at the following verses. It says this in verse 4. When he arrived at Bethlehem, the elders of the town trembled when they met him, and they said, Do you come in peace? They too are a little bit nervous. Like, why is this guy here? Uh, this is scary. Is he going to tell us that God is judging us for something that we've done wrong? Are we in trouble? Is there a plague? Is there danger? Whatever it is, what's going on? Samuel says, yes, don't worry, in peace, because I believe God has been working in his heart and he's beginning not to be concerned or panic. He says, listen, I've come in peace and I've come to sacrifice to the Lord. Consecrate yourselves and come to the sacrifice with me. Then he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. Now, here's what I'd like to do. I'd like to do a little bit of a visual. Um, I'd like to invite some of the, anyone here who's over six feet tall and we'll say about 195 to 200 pounds just to come on really quick. Come up here. Up on stage. And if I had to call out your names, it makes it even more embarrassing. Go ahead, move. Saying, you can come on up here. Great, thank you. Appreciate that. Uh, Sunil, you can come up here. Great, love that. Appreciate that. Uh, let's see, who else? Benson, you can come up here too. You've already been up here once. You can come again. Andy Choi, you've been up here, so you're not nervous. Why don't you come up here as well? Come on, guys. The, the longer you take, the longer the sermon goes, and then lunch is a lot later. I know you're all hungry, and uh, we're just going to have four guys, and then I'm going to invite my son, Tim. Tim, will you come on up here, too, because uh, I said I would invite you up here, even though you thought I was joking and found out now that I'm really not. 
And uh, I want you guys to kind of stand uh, based on height. Um, and Benson, I don't know if we're going to include your hair in that, because with your hair, you might be the tallest. <laughs> so, so I'm going to put you here. <laughs> you need a haircut. All those times you made fun of my mullet. comes back to you. And uh, I think, Andy, you're second. And then saying, yeah, you got the point here, so I think you're winning on that one. Son, you've got to change your hairstyle if you want to move up the line here. So we've already read the verses, but I'm just going to give you a little bit of, of a point. Samuel here is there at dinner, and uh, then Jesse uh, brings in his son, and the first one that comes in is Eliab, and uh, there you go, the biggest guy, strong, strapping young man that he is. Samuel goes, man, that has got to be the next king of Israel because he is the biggest guy around. He, just, he looks like a youth pastor. I mean, he looks like a king. That's the kind of guy that I want to have leading the nation. And the Lord says, no way. That is not the guy. Now, we're going to figure out later on it's not the guy because he doesn't have a heart for God, but at least at this point, Samuel's like, oh, okay, all right, that's not the guy. So you're dismissed. You are not a king. <clears throat> Next guy comes along. Samuel goes, oh, hey, hey, this guy is pretty good too. I mean, he's kind of big, strapping man as well. Man, this is fantastic. That is the guy the Lord says, mm, no, he is not either. So, Andy, you're also dismissed. You're not the king. <coughs> this goes on to the next guy. No, you're not the king either. To the next guy, and by the way, when you play today, please strike out a lot, okay? Appreciate that. The next guy, no, that is not the guy either. Now, after seven sons walk by, Samuel goes, God, what is going on here? I don't understand this. You tell me to go to Jesse of Bethlehem, to sit down and have this dinner with him and pick one of his sons to be king, Seven guys have walked by, they all look pretty good, and there is no one for me to anoint. This does not make sense. Well, look what happens here. Isn't this great, Tim, you get to stand up here with me? I'm not going to use you until later on in the sermon anyway, so, but just stand there. <clears throat> this is what happens. Verse 10, Jesse had seven of his sons pass before Samuel, but Samuel said to them, the Lord has not chosen these. In other words, these guys are great kids, but they are not it at all. So he asked Jesse, are all these the sons that you have? Jesse thinks, hmm, goes on. There's still the youngest, but he's tending sheep. Well, here's what he's basically saying is, you know what? You asked me to bring my entire family to this very important and special dinner, right? But, um... Mm, we forgot about somebody. It's kind of like if I went on a family vacation and uh, then we go, like the movie, Home Alone, and we go, oh man, we forgot Tim at home. Oh, oops, sorry about that. Uh, what are we going to do? Well, that's kind of embarrassing, but what I get to see in this, when we're looking at the type of person that God chooses, is that he chooses someone who is ordinary. David, as a teenager, is ordinary. He's so ordinary that basically his family forgets about him. Or didn't really even consider it important to invite him. I don't know which one is worse, to be forgotten or considered not important enough to actually be invited to the dinner. And that's the situation. So you kind of have a David-type guy who here is younger and is, is going to grow into someone who is going to be much bigger and larger, but at this point in his life, he's just ordinary. Forgotten or neglected or whatever it is, but this is the one that the Lord will use. Look what it says. 
So he sent him and had him brought in, and he was ruddy with a fine appearance and handsome features. Then the Lord said to Samuel, I mean, as clear as a bell, man, as soon as he walks into the room, Samuel might be thinking, come on, he's a teenager, (laughs) look at him. But God said, yeah, yeah, you're right. Look at him. Still a little small, maybe a little bit awkward with growing up, but one day, this forgotten or neglected or ordinary teen is going to be somebody. You can sit down now, bro. And from now on... And that's the way God works! And I think that's what not just this church, but any and every other church misses out on because we're so wrapped into this idea that who does God use? Well, you know, God uses our pastors. And even though this was not set up at all, it's really cool to see the puppet show, which basically says it's not just the pastors that make this church happen. It's not. And it never, ever will be. And we need to understand it's not just Paul that was all about starting this Christian movement that spread all over the world. It was about the ordinary people in the cities that he went to who shared their faith with their neighbors or the people that they fished with or the people that they did whatever it is that they did with. It was those ordinary people (coughs) that we are here today. Because God uses ordinary people. And he uses ordinary people to do extraordinary things. And that is the way that God works. Because, listen, what he's saying here, what we have and often perceive incorrectly is the same thing that the Lord said in verse 7. Do not consider his appearance or his height, and dare I say his education slash seminary training or whatever else you want to throw in there. But I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things man looks at. Man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. That's the heart of the matter, pun intended. God uses ordinary people who have a heart for him. Now, before we flip into that, I want to look at one more clip from uh, Heroes, which is going to be season premiering soon. But uh, this is a very good clip. It includes a hero in the midst of his ordinariness. You gotta get him out of my bathroom, man. What is his problem? He doesn't want to grow up. Everyone has to grow up. Dude! He says, you guys didn't grow up. You read comic books and eat junk food. If you were a hero, you're not, but if you were, you would know that Saving the world comes before everything else. He says, look what happens when I try. My father's dead. Why bother being a hero? Because you give people hope. That anybody, even a lowly office drone, can make a difference. You don't have to be a billionaire like Batman or... An alien like Superman. You just have to believe. I uh, thought you didn't believe in any of this. I don't. Thank you. 
Isn't that great? Postmodernism at his best. He gives this great speech and he doesn't believe it. Wow. Okay. <laughs> but it's a great speech, is it not? I mean, what is this? Even a little lowly office drone, and I'm not calling you office drone, so don't send me angry emails as to, you know, you called me an office drone and I'm lowly. But even this office drone, and his whole point is, listen, a hero is not always saving the world like a Superman or a Batman. And even this guy that you look at, as you, as you look at Hiro Nakamura, you just kind of think there's, there's no way. He's so plain. He's so nerdy. He's so whatever it is. But he's definitely not a hero, H-E-R-O, because he is a hero, H-I-R-O, just so you don't correct me on that one. But he's just so ordinary. And I mean, really, when I look at, at verses like this, that's what I see. The message of, of, of redemption is just ordinariness. Think about Jesus. When, when Jesus came, did he come as this conquering king? Did he come with all these trumpets blaring and, and people coming from, from, the, of the, from Jerusalem and saying, here is our king? No one, no one really knew. Not even at the time that the king supposedly knew. But this ordinary baby born in this manger slash cave or stable or whatever you want to call it, growing up in an ordinary place in a far, far, far place where, where, where people don't even recognize as a really great place called Nazareth. I mean, come on, here's ordinariness. God loves to use the ordinary because the ordinary are willing to depend on him because they recognize their need for him. It's the extraordinary people that run around thinking that they can do it all and are filled up with pride and are stealing God's glory. God loves to use ordinary people. And as we see here, we see a David who is absolutely ordinary. What sets David apart then from his brothers? This is the third and final point. It's that the Lord chooses to use those who have a heart for him. Let's read again verse 7. Do not consider his appearance or his height. Talking about Eliab. For I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things man looks at. Man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. You see, David was ordinary in his appearance. There was nothing which you could truly say, or little at least, that you could truly say, wow, he really is someone that I want to follow. But it was his heart the heart that God saw, that ultimately when you get into the New Testament, the writers will say that David had a heart for God. He was known as a man after God's own heart. That's the deal breaker. You see, because when Samuel saw the bigger guys, he looked at appearance. God said, don't look at that. But when he saw David, it was, let's look into his heart and see what he is like as a follower. Now what I want us to see is when we talk about having a heart for God, when we look at the entire scope of David's life, some of us really have to wonder, does David really have a heart for God? I mean, when you look at David, that man's life in many ways is a chocolate mess. Dealing with sexual issues, anger issues, pride issues, maybe a lot of issues that all of us deal with. And you have to really wonder when you get to the end of his life, man, this guy was so bad, how can God really say he had a heart for him? The heart that God is looking for is not the perfect heart. Because if God only used ordinary people with a perfect heart, that would cancel out everybody. Now mind you, I'm not saying please go home and continue in the life of sin that you might be leading in secret because as long as you have a heart for God, everything is okay. I am not saying that. What I'm saying is that many of us 
First of all, in serving God, get tripped up because we believe we have to be extraordinary when God mainly calls the ordinary. And then we get tripped up believing that we have to be perfect, that we have to be holy people like pastor so-and-so or missionary so-and-so or evangelist so-and-so, not recognizing that the heart that God calls for is people who are continually moving towards Him, following Him, growing in their desires and their thoughts and their words and their actions to be more like Jesus. That's the heart that David had. Not a perfect heart, because he failed a lot, but he had a trusting heart. He trusted the Lord to be his Savior. And yes, he made some huge mistakes. And the consequences of those mistakes were also huge. But he kept moving forward, recognized, I sinned. Sometimes hiding it for a season, being found out, but then confessing, I have done wrong against you, and you only have I sinned. Time and time again, when David has failed, in his heart, recognizing that there was a brokenness in fellowship, whether somebody had to tell him, or he came by his own recognition, he came back to God. You see, in the midst of all this, in looking at this chapter, and, and trying to fit it into the whole of Scripture, Recognizing that in many ways all we see are highlights and often and un- unfortunately many lowlights of the lives of these people who are following God, we see ordinariness. Regular, ordinary people. Abraham, a great man. But think about it. Even after he received the promise of God to be a father of great nations, runs off and then gives his wife away because he's afraid for his life. It's pretty ordinary. And that's a big mistake. It had consequences. Working through people like a Joseph or or a Jacob, just ordinary people. And the message I think that God would have us throughout the whole of Scripture is just because you are ordinary does not mean that I cannot use you. In fact, more than anything else, it means that I want to use you for my kingdom. Because ultimately, (coughs) the promise of the Messiah will come through David's lineage because of his heart. See, the message that God has for us, the thing that He calls us to be, is to get out of our excuses, our concern about being a simple, ordinary person, whose heart at many times can be weak for Him, sometimes maybe not even beating for Him, and come to a place where we recognize that there is a specialness to us, not because some bearded guy in a cane says so, or a pastor in gray pants says so, but because God says so. Because God says, you are my child. And He doesn't bring us into His family just to have family reunions on Sundays, but He brings us into His family so that as a family, working together with Him and the family, we are called to go into a world and reach it for Christ. That makes us special. God's call on our lives. And though we are not perfect, and many times people may be able to point to us and say, hey, you have failed. We can look at Scripture and see people all throughout Scripture have failed. But the, it doesn't end with their failure unless they let it. If they come to God and say, I have blown it. And the forgiveness and the cleansing that He gives, not seeking for perfect hearts, but for trusting hearts, God can continue to use people. Ordinary people, just like each and every one of us. And as we've probably heard before, thinking of that most of Scripture, a large portion of Scripture, 
was written by three murderers. Moses, David, and Paul. That should leave us with a sense that the God that we serve is not so concerned about who we are in our eyes or in the eyes of the world, but who we are in his eyes and what he's called us to do. I think the call for each and every one of us today may not necessarily mean that you have to have some extraordinary ministry to finally be found out to be faithful before God. What God calls you to be is to be faithful in the ministry that He has called you to do. And it doesn't matter if you are 11 years old or if you're over 50. But if God has called you to do something in your ordinariness, He has called you to do it, and not in your strength. Because to me, the verse that really wraps up this whole passage in a really neat way is the last one in verse 13 where it says, So Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And from that day on, the Spirit of the Lord came upon David in power. Your power does not rest in your education. Over the years, I've seen people who have PhDs which just don't seem to cut it in following Christ in their ministry or in their lives. PhD means nothing in God's eyes. In or if you don't have a heart for Him. You could be the lowliest office drone, but if you have a heart that is consumed with God and has a passion for the things that He has a passion for you for as well, you in your ordinariness and in your imperfections can be used by God. God has chosen you to do something. And it is a call that we need to respond to without excuse because it's not us who does it, but it's ultimately God who does it. Let's pray. Father, I just thank you for this story about David. The view and picture that we have of David as a mighty warrior, a great man of God. And yet recognizing that when his family saw them, all they saw was the youngest of eight. Somebody who could easily be forgotten or neglected. And yet you saw beyond all of that. You saw beyond his appearance and you looked at his heart. So I pray for each and every one of us here today in our ordinariness. Not that you call us to be ordinary, but you as an extraordinary God call us in the midst of our ordinariness to do extraordinary things in your eyes, which may mean simply just reaching out to a neighbor or reaching out to a family that's hurting and in need of ministry. Father, we confess we often think of extraordinary and success as big things and big churches and big ministries and lots of money and big buildings and all these other things. To you, success is people becoming more like Jesus in our desires, in our thoughts, and our words, and our actions. And seeing us as Jesus go into a world and seeing people who don't follow Jesus become followers. That's success. And that's the mission that you call us to. Whether there's glamour or not, whether it's extraordinary in the eyes of the church world or not, does not make a difference. But if we are faithful in our ordinariness to do what you have called us to do, then truly 
you're pleased. Father, may we walk with you in your power. Use us. May we be world changers, even if it just means our office or our neighborhood. In Jesus' name. Thanks for listening to the sermon from Harvest Community Church. If you would like more information or have any questions or comments, check out our website at harvest-community.org. Thanks for listening.